Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 325. It's titled, Convertible Bonds, the highest returning asset class that Vanguard abandoned. I recently received an email from a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus. He wrote he recently learned of a new asset class and wanted some help understanding it better. It's called convertible bonds. He wrote what really surprised him was how well convertible bonds had performed over the previous 10 years relative to the S&P 500. Convertible bonds have outperformed U.S. stocks on an annualized basis over the past five years. They've trounced U.S. stocks in 2020. The Spider Bloomberg Barclays Convertible Securities ETF has gained 49% year-to-date, compared to 14.9% for the S&P 500. On a three-year annualized basis, that ETF returned 21%, versus 13.3% for the S&P 500. And on a five-year basis, the annualized return is 18.3% versus 14.7% for the S&P 500. We have to go and look at a decade's worth of return to see the S&P outperform convertibles. 13.6% annualized for the S&P 500, 12.2% for convertible bonds. The member continued, It not only has done better than the S&P 500, but with a lower drawdown in March 2020. It begs the question, why not invest in something like this versus the S&P 500? Although its name includes the word bond, is it really a bond or equity? I was first introduced to convertible bonds back in the early 2000s. As an institutional investment advisor, we took on a new client. It was a new foundation that was connected to an insurance company. And I learned that insurance companies view the investment world very differently than endowments and foundations. I was the advisor and was charged with finding managers in asset classes that I knew very little about, one of which was convertible bonds. Another was preferred stock. So I searched for managers and I learned the asset class. It's an asset class I have invested in off and on over the years. I invested in 2008 in the Vanguard Convertible Securities Fund. This was a great fund. It was managed by Oak Tree Capital Management, the firm co-founded by renowned investor Howard Marks. That fund was introduced by Vanguard in 1986, and they closed it last year. It had close to a billion dollars in assets. In the press release, Vanguard said, despite the fund's capable advisor and prudent approach to managing convertible securities, 
the fund has not gained broad acceptance among these investors. The investors being pension funds, endowments, corporate and nonprofit retirement plans. The fund remains one of the smallest offerings in terms of net assets. It doesn't surprise me that institutional investors, endowments, and foundations weren't big players in the convertible bond space. It's an asset class that's not well understood, difficult to understand and to figure out. Is it undervalued or attractive at any given time? I sold that investment in the Vanguard Convertible Securities Fund in 2011 and then reinvested in convertibles in 2015 this time with a closed-end fund, the Calamos Convertible Opportunities and Income Fund. Calamos is probably the most skilled manager in convertible bonds that I know for long-only investments in convertibles. In fact, I believe they were the manager that we hired at that endowment back in the early 2000s to manage a convertible bond allocation. I bought that Calamos closed-end fund because it was selling at a 10% discount to its net asset value. I held it for three years until it was selling at a premium, and then I sold it. I did not buy convertible bonds this spring when I probably should have. I'm feeling some regret here. But as I mentioned, this is the challenging asset class to understand. So in this episode, that's what we want to do. Learn about convertible bonds, how they work, and how is it they could beat the S&P 500 this year by over 30 percentage points. Convertible bonds are debt securities. They are bonds issued by corporations, but they're unique because they include an option for the bondholder to exchange the bond for shares of the issuer's common stock. They've been around since the 19th century in the U.S., where convertibles were used to raise capital to build out the railroad system. Convertible bonds are available around the world. It's about $400 billion outstanding although they're a small subset of the overall bond market. They comprise about 2.5% of the $8 trillion of U.S. corporate bonds outstanding. They're issued by all different industries. Information technology is the largest issuer of convertible bonds, and those comprise about 20% of the issues outstanding. Why do companies issue convertible bonds? Why not just issue stock or just straight-up bonds? They do so because when a company issues convertible bonds, the interest rate is lower than on non-convertible debt. The reason being, convertible bondholders have this option to convert it to stock. And so the companies can issue the bond at a lower yield than their non-convertible debt. And many of those companies that issue convertible bonds are growth companies. They have high revenues, but they're still incurring losses which means that if they issued a traditional bond, it's probably going to be rated non-investment grade. They have to go through the hassle of getting the bond rated. By issuing convertibles, they don't have to necessarily get the bond rated, and they can pay a lower interest rate than they would otherwise. Companies also issue convertible bonds because instead of raising stock where existing shareholders will be diluted immediately because there's more shares outstanding, By issuing convertible bonds and the price at which it can be converted is higher than the current stock price, then existing shareholders are less concerned about it because this is perhaps additional shares released sometime in the future when the stock price is much higher than it is today. How do convertible bonds work? One of the things that I'm doing 
as part of this episode, is writing the complete guide to investing in convertible bonds. And that will be available next week on the website. It's free. It's just like the other asset class guides I have written that you can find at moneyfortherestofus.com. I'm discussing it in this episode, but it's also, for some, easier to read about it because there's so many definitions. Similar to traditional bonds, convertible bonds pay interest. It's usually semi-annually, and it's based on the coupon rate, which is the stated interest rate outlined in the prospectus. The bonds have a maturity, and if the bond has not been converted into stock, the bond will pay its par value upon maturity. And the par value is typically $1,000. So if you buy a convertible, it's at a par value of $1,000. It will have a stated interest rate. And then there's the option to convert it into common stock. Some convertible bonds have a feature where they can be called or redeemed early. But more and more, you're seeing convertible bonds not have a call feature. So the issuer can't call it early. And that's really comes down to the demand of who buys most convertible bonds? And that is hedge funds. Hedge funds purchase up to 80% of convertible bond issues, primarily as part of a strategy we'll discuss a little bit later in this episode called convertible bond arbitrage. Hedge funds don't like those convertibles to be called early because it messes up their hedging strategies. And as a result, companies have been willing to issue convertible bonds that don't have call provisions But in doing so, they have shortened up the maturities of the bonds by about five years on average in the last decade. As I mentioned, what makes convertibles unique is the ability for the bondholder to exchange the bond for a fixed number of common stock shares. And the number of stock shares you get for the $1,000 par value is called the conversion rate. Most convertible bond issues have some type of provision that that conversion rate increases You get more shares for the par value if certain corporate events occur, such as the company pays a cash or a stock dividend. There's a stock split or additional stock shares are issued. That higher conversion rate compensates the convertible bondholder for corporate events that could increase the number of shares or put downward pressure on the company's stock, making it less likely that the convertible bondholder can profitably convert the bond into stock. Convertible bonds have a fixed income component and an equity component, which consists of an option that gives the holder the right, but not the obligation to convert the bond into stock. Convertible bonds can be analyzed by looking at the fixed income attributes and the equity attributes because it has elements of both. If we look at convertible bonds as a bond, its intrinsic value is known as its investment value, and it can be calculated based on prevailing interest rates or interest rates on the issuer's non-convertible debt. What is this convertible worth as a bond? And there's an investment value to that. Most convertible bonds sell for more than the investment value. And that difference between its market price and the investment value is known as the investment premium. It reflects the value investors place on the ability to convert the convertible bond into stock. Now, we could also look at a convertible bond from its stock side. And to do that, we look at the conversion value. And this is what the convertible bond is worth if it's converted into stock. 
We calculate the conversion value by multiplying the stock price, the current stock price, by the conversion ratio, which is the number of shares received per bond. The investment value of the bond based on its fixed income attributes is a support level. It serves as a minimum price for this bond. The same goes for the conversion value. That's the minimum value the price of the convertible should sell for when looking at it from an equity perspective. What convertible arbitrage hedge funds do is they're looking for mispricing, seeing if the convertible is selling too cheaply relative to its investment value or its conversion value. Most convertible bonds will sell for more than the conversion value. And the difference between the market price and the conversion value is known as the conversion premium. Now, here's the thing. When a convertible bond's conversion value, essentially its equity value, is lower than the investment value, the floor of the bond, looking at it as a bond, then the convertible acts more like a bond. It fluctuates in price as interest rates change. And the reason for that is when the conversion value is much less than the investment value, it's not profitable for the convertible bondholder to exchange the bond for common stock. It's sometimes called being out of the money because no investor would exchange the bond and get stock that was worth less than the bond it's selling for. The only reason to convert is if the amount of stock you get is equivalent to what the bond is selling for. So when that conversion value is less than the investment value of the bond, then the convertible acts like a bond and trades that way. But when the conversion value is greater than the investment value, then the bond trades more like a stock because as the stock goes up in price, the convertible bond will go up in price because, again, that bondholder has the option to exchange it for stock. Delta is the term used to measure how sensitive a convertible bond's price is relative to its common stock. If the delta is 1, then the convertible tends to move in lockstep with the common stock. If the convertible's delta is less than 1, let's say 0.2, then it's going to trade much more like a bond. Historically, the major convertible bond indices have had a delta of about 0.5 which means that if a stock went up 10%, the convertible might only go up 5%, about half the volatility of the stock market. What makes convertibles attractive is as the stock price falls, the convertible bond's fixed income component, its investment value acts as a support level because at some point the stock falls far enough that this just acts like a bond. At the same time, when interest rates increase, Convertible bonds are less sensitive. They don't fall as much in price than non-convertible debt because there's this equity option element that the bond could be converted into stock. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, Everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one program and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. 
You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com david. netsuite.com david. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Let's take a look at an example. In May 2019, Tesla issued a 2% convertible senior note that matures in 2024. At the time, Tesla stock was priced at $244 per share. The conversion rate at issuance was 3.2276 shares of common stock per 1,000 par value of the bond. That means the bondholder could convert the bond into 3.2276 shares of common stock. The conversion value when that Tesla convertible bond was issued in May 2019 was $787.53. We can calculate that by multiplying the conversion rate, the 3.2276, times the stock price at the time for Tesla of $244 per share. By late 2019, Tesla's stock price had risen to a level that it was profitable for investors to convert its bond into stock, which means the delta would be approaching one. Since then, Tesla's stock price has skyrocketed so that the convertible's market price is well above the bond's investment value. In fact, Tesla's stock is up sevenfold in 2020, and that convertible bond issue is up 600% this year. Tesla by far has the biggest component of convertible bond indices. It comprises 9% of the B of A U.S. convertibles index. And because Tesla's convertible has done so well, half of the return for that convertibles index, that 49% return, is due just to Tesla. The delta is one. Half the index is trading just like a stock. And that has driven the performance of convertible bonds. David King, co-manager of the $2 billion Columbia Convertible Securities Fund, said the convertible market in 2020 has experienced the good version of the perfect storm. Now, it wasn't just Tesla that's driving performance. There were a number of other companies that got hit hard by the pandemic. Carnival Cruise Line, Southwest Airlines, Lyft. They all sold convertibles to raise money to help their balance sheet. And as the economy has recovered, those convertible bonds have soared in price. The reason convertible bonds have done so well this year is because they have become more stock-like as the conversion values have increased dramatically. For many issues, they're well above the investment values, so they're trading much more like stocks. 
I mentioned that most convertibles are bought by hedge funds as part of a convertible arbitrage strategy. What these hedge funds do is they're trying to exploit any mispricings between the convertible bond and the underlying stock. There are several different convertible strategies, but one way to go about it, the simple strategy, is the hedge fund buys the convertible bond and shorts a number of shares of the stock. Shorting a stock is when you borrow the shares, sell the stock, and then make money as the stock falls in price because you can buy the stock back at a lower price and then return the borrowed shares. An investor that owns the convertible bonds and is short the stock, if they hedge right, can be protected against any changes in the stock price, whether it goes up or down. Then they can just collect that interest income and they can use leverage and that allows for a decent return. Now, there are other convertible strategies that try to benefit from the mispricing or the change in delta. Convertible bonds have done incredibly well due to Tesla and some of these other issues. But what's a reasonable return for convertible bonds? If we're looking out, one of the things we do on Money for the Restless Plus is estimate expected returns and a range of returns for different asset classes over the next decade, including convertible bonds. Our current return assumption over the next decade is 3.5% per year. That's lower than what convertible bonds have done. And this is where it gets tricky is coming up with the assumption. The way to develop that assumption is to look at the current yield to maturity on convertible bonds, which is only about 0.6%, and then come up with an expected return for stocks, let's say 6%, and then assume some delta for convertible bonds. Let's assume 0.5. So 0.5 times 6% is 3%, plus the 0.6 yield to maturity. So about 3.6%. But if the delta is much higher, because convertibles are doing so well, stock price is doing so well, convertibles will do much better than 3.5%, and they've done that. And this is where I struggle in figuring out, well, what is a reasonable return? Because we don't know what the delta is going to be. And there was no way we could foresee that Tesla would be the biggest issuer of convertible bonds, and then their stock is up sevenfold in 2020. From a risk standpoint, the worst loss historically for convertible bonds has been back in 2008 with a 32% decline for the major convertible bond indices. 32% is what the Spider Bloomberg Barclays Convertible Securities ETF lost from February 19th of this year through March 23rd, the bottom. Consequently, a a 32% decline is a reasonable maximum loss assumption for convertible bonds. And that's what we use on the site. How do we invest in convertibles? Well, the simplest way is to just buy a convertible bond ETF, recognizing that Tesla is going to be a big component of that and its delta is one. The other way to invest is through mutual funds, through actively managed mutual funds that can decide how much delta they want, or even closed-end funds like I have done in the past, buying closed-end funds when they were at a discount to net asset value. There's a free guide on the Money for the Rest of Us website on how to invest in closed-end funds and evaluate them, and you can check that out. You can buy individual convertible bonds, but you have to go through your broker, and And I looked on Schwab, and there, there wasn't any convertible bonds listed. You have to call the 800 number and buy it that way. So this is not a big market. 
but it is possible to buy an individual convertible bond. At this point, though, if you're buying an ETF that buys the entire market, the performance of the convertible bond ETF is going to be heavily influenced by Tesla. And I don't know how well Tesla is going to do. And I, if I'm investing in an asset class, I'd rather performance be driven by a broader number of issues. So I would be more inclined to use an active manager in the convertible bond space, either a mutual fund or a closed-end fund, recognizing if they didn't hold Tesla, they significantly underperformed. I would love to be able to invest in the Vanguard convertible securities mutual fund, but Vanguard closed it. As I mentioned, we'll be finalizing the complete guide to investing in convertible bonds. It'll be free on the website. That should go up next week. There'll be more detail on convertible bonds there because there's a number of topics that I wasn't able to cover in this episode because I just didn't want to load you down with too many definitions. But you can check out the guide there at moneyfortherestofus.com. That then is episode 325. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific risk situation. I've not provided investment advice. This is simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week. <laughs>